Welcome to episode 132 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek, and that silence that you're hearing is the lack of my usual co-host, Marco, who has unfortunately been taken down by the dreaded COVID at last. And I say at last because purely because he has managed to avoid it this entire time completely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his family's had it a number of times, but he's he was one of those guys who I, I was like, you should really get your blood checked for some kind of wonder antibody but I guess in the end he was just as weak as the rest of us uh, but obviously we all here at uh, Right Gear Towers wish Marco a speedy recovery um, and hopefully he'll be back to full strength next week but in the meantime we have a fantastic guest lined up for you we are chatting with Mr Adam Hamdy who uh, is a is a fantastic guy it's a really fun chat and he's had a really interesting uh, way into the industry he has done so many different jobs. He's a novelist, he's a screenwriter, he's a film producer, he's um, founded a company and raised millions in venture capital to launch businesses. Uh, it's just a really kind of all over, uh, you know, if you name it, he's probably done it and probably made a success of it. So um, it's it, it, it's a really fun chat. And he's also the, as you'll hear in the interview, he's also the uh, co-founder of Capital Crime, which is uh, one of the, surprisingly, one of the few writing festivals to take place in London. And it's taking place at the end of uh, this month, September 2022. And uh, we chat a little little bit about that as well. It's a a really fun chat. He's a really interesting guy. And his latest novel is The Other Side of Night, which is uh, just out uh, last week at time of recording and is a really unusual, fantastic novel. It's a kind of mix between uh, crime and literary and a little bit fantasy it's it's just a real it's a genre defined book i think and it's it's one i would heartily recommend everyone go out and read um but that's enough from me just now i will um be back at the end of the podcast as marco says with a little bit more chat uh, and to let you know about our next batch of episodes but for now on with the podcast the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project. 
divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? I've always written. Um, and I think if you'd asked me what my dream job would have been, it would have been a writer. But I came from a very um, uh, sort of working class background and it just never entered my head that people could actually make a living writing. You know, we didn't know any writers. We didn't really know any creatives. Um, had a, an uncle, a great uncle who was a painter. Um, but in the main, it was sort of, you know, people had very um, everyday jobs and it just didn't occur to me that, uh, that I could, you know, make a living as an author. Yep. Am I right in saying that you worked as a strategy consultant before you were yes. a writer? Yeah. 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 So um worked as a consultant, um, did a, a tech startup, a couple of tech startups and, um, yeah, advised as a strategy consultant, advising big businesses how to make more money. Um, so it was really well-paid work, but, um, you know, for me personally, not hugely rewarding. And uh, my father died suddenly um, when he was quite young, and it just made me think life's too short. And yeah. no matter how hard it is, I should follow my passion. Uh, so no, no, go ahead. No, just to say that this that this whole time where you were you still was writing, obviously the thing that was in the, the forefront of your mind, and were you were you doing any writing at all during this period? Yeah, I was writing all the time, writing short stories, plays, um, trying to write screenplays. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm writing constantly. Never sent it anywhere, never showed it to anyone, but had notebooks full of uh, full of stuff. You know, com- computers full of either partially complete or completed bits of work, you know, just constantly um, writing. I think, you know, I think if you can be happy doing anything else, do something else. Writing is, uh, (laughs) you know, it looks great. You know, the kind of Hollywood version of writing where you make loads of money and you basically sit around and come up with ideas uh, is a fantastic lifestyle for anyone. But the reality of writing, I think, is only good for people who have it as a calling um and and who feel they have to do it yeah i I think that's right but but also i suppose doing all of that writing in your during that period is good sort of grounding and 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 almost like a a apprenticeship or something you're getting the words on the page even if you're not doing anything with them it's teaching you habits and things like that which is probably quite a good thing yeah definitely and i think for you know the corporate world taught me the importance of discipline um and and you know just getting up day in day even if you may not feel like it you know just day in day out getting up and working hard and and the, and it exposes you to a lot of different people around the world and you see how hard people work at all levels of life um to survive to achieve and so 
you know, it kind of teaches you not to take anything for granted. And so I tried to write a screenplay fresh out of university and just didn't have the discipline. I was too sort of caught up in the student lifestyle still and partying and all that sort of stuff. And working in the corporate world taught me the value of just grafting, hard work, discipline, um, but also it's taught me to appreciate what I have. I love writing, you know, I love it. Uh, I, you know, even the bits that I hate, I love. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's uh, having a corporate job has taught me to appreciate what I've got because I don't ever want to have to go back to that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just, I want to work hard to, to make sure that I keep progressing as a, as a writer. And I mean, a lot of the writers that we've spoken to in the past seem to fall into one of two camps almost, which is those that have kind of just went into the writing, having had no kind of formal training and those that have done various courses, you know, the Curtis Brown courses or like an English lit course or something. And, you know, from your point of view, did you ever think about doing a, a formal training thing or did you kind of like the idea of just taking your kind of experience of non-writing stuff and bringing that into the writing world? Oh, I mean, one of the things you do as a consultant is you do tons of research. If you go into a business, you have to research all about it. You research competitors, you research the market and everything. That bit of discipline that I was doing, you know, every single day of my professional career, I didn't do a single thing like that when I was, when I decided to become a writer. <laughs> I didn't even know these courses existed until yeah. I was a couple of years in. And by then I couldn't afford them. And, um, uh, but I did do um, some day courses. What, what I was really lucky uh, with was that I got, um, I was able to sort of make connections and um, establish relationships with some very experienced sort of Hollywood producers and screenwriters. And I learned a lot from them about story, about, you know, how to, um, how to develop concepts, how to sort of structure uh, stories for, for screen. And that was um, a kind of, yeah, I mean, it was a free education really. Um, how did, how did you make those connections? <laughs> <laughs> Taking notes here. Oh, don't, nobody should ever do this. This is a cautionary tale. So <laughs> sort of soon after my dad died and there was September the 11th, we, my wife and I said, look, let's just follow our dreams. We moved out of uh, London and we moved up to Shropshire and I did a bit more consulting and, and then basically just said, right, this is it. Let's go for it. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I I had an idea one day to write a comedy mockumentary about Judge Reinhold. Um, <laughs> I like it. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And I thought, you know, this guy's was really big in the eighties, you know, everyone likes him, popular guy and he's funny, you know? So I sort of thought I'm going to write a mockumentary. It's unlike anything I've ever written. So I wrote this thing and I, I mean, I should have known better. I, 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 <laughs> I did what they say you should never do. And I sent it to his agent in Los Angeles. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in Shropshire in a lodge house um, on the edge of this big country estate and sent it to an agent in LA. Like, you should never do that. Don't do it. Um, and two months later, I got a call at nine o'clock at night 
um, from this agent saying, Judge loves it. He wants, <laughs> to, he wants to make your movie. No, seriously. Brilliant. What? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like, really? Hell. Yeah, absolutely loves it. Wants to make your movie. And I just said, well, what do I do now then? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, um, get yourself an agent, get it optioned by a production company. Let's get going. So that's what I did. I picked three agents from the Writers and Artists Yearbook. And I went with somebody who I can only describe as quite a character who talked the talk. He kind of now, looking back, was a bit like um, Joey Tribbiani's agent and friends, Estelle. <laughs> the male version of Estelle. And, um, uh, but I signed with him and we got a production company to option the script and it never went anywhere, but it gave me the confidence that, okay, maybe I'm onto something here. Maybe I'm mm. not just completely deluded. And so I got on a plane and went to LA knowing one person. And, you know, once you get, people say, oh, it's really hard to um, break into Hollywood. I'd say it's really hard to build a career in Hollywood. But there's plenty of people out there, you know, even established producers who are always on the lookout for new talent. Mm -hmm. So you get taken to screenings, you get invited to lunches, you get, you just, you know, you, you kind of find your way in and people want to read your material. So as long as you keep producing new material, there's going to be somebody that wants to read it. Wow. And through that, I got to build some really good relationships with producers, with other writers and, and directors actually, and, and kind of learn um my craft as I went and you know it was an impoverishing experience because you shouldn't expect to get or you you should expect to get paid but you're not going to get paid for a lot of the work that you do early on um but I kind of paid my dues and uh you know finally started getting hired for what I would call real jobs and, and real work and but yeah that's how it started it started with a comedy mockumentary about Judge Ryan which never got me <laughs> that is a unique uh... that's brilliant origin story let's put it i have to ask did you ever actually meet judge no no oh. uh we we so at that the reason that film didn't get made is because he wanted to get paid and the production company that watched <laughs> the script didn't want to pay him um certainly not the amount of money that he wanted to get paid so they said could you rewrite it for steve gutenberg <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that was a whole crazy other story because at the time Steve Gutenberg was mayor of Pacific Palisades and I don't know he had his eye on other things but it's, yeah I uh, feel there's uh, a you should write a story about this this is yeah, a no, Hollywood no, story I know, right I know. there's a story in this and it's uh, yeah. on its own you know and and the characters that you meet like the the production company that optioned it had gone to a meeting in Rome and were offered a suitcase full of money by someone in the Vatican City who wanted to invest in their films. It was that kind of production. <laughs> this is definitely a movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it was the whole, that was yeah. that was that was what I would call my grey period. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at what point did you think, right? Okay, I'm going to move on from Judge, and I'm going to work on a novel. When did you think this is the way to go? So, I'd been writing uh, for screen properly for probably about um so let me get this right so 20 yeah probably been about six or seven years i've been writing for screen and i just got very frustrated because things would get close you know you'd have really good talent attached great directors you'd have financing in place and it would all fall apart you know at the last minute and so 
you know, that that happens a lot. Or execs move, you know, studio exec will move from one studio to another or a production company to another. And I just got a bit frustrated not seeing things um, being realized. And I thought, you know, I should write a book because then at least I'll have some degree of control and I can get an end product into yeah. um, the reader's hands. And the reason I hadn't done it before then was actually because I'd always been in awe of novelists. The idea that you create something in its entirety that projects thoughts and emotions, images into people's minds without a screen, without teams of people, without being able to show the image, just it just I was in awe of it because it seemed almost magical that you'd have that direct. Because when you think about it, what are we doing? We're we're we're, we're following the kind of ancient storytelling magic where you're you're using words to translate your emotions into someone else's emotions or, you know, their experience yeah. of, a, of a story. And so but I'm never good at sort of being afraid of things and always like to overcome my fears. And so I just thought, right, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do it in 30 days. And I wrote 3,000 oh. words a day. And at the end of 30 days, and I wrote every single day, 3,000 words. And at the end of 30 days, I had a book. Brilliant. Um, and, and had you planned it at all in advance? Do you know how much you'd spend? No, I mean, I knew roughly. I knew roughly what I, what it was about, and it was a futuristic sci-fi action thriller, espionage action thriller. And actually, it got close to being published. I went down for one of those meetings with Simon and Schuster mm-hmm. in London. Yeah, and they said to me, you know, this is really cool writing, but it's set in America. You're a British writer. It's a mashup of about three different genres. We're not sure that we can market this mm-hmm. you know so close so i tried again with a supernatural thriller and uh, it was like a supernatural noir pulp thriller and and again i had another meeting um and they just said you know really great but you know we feel like it's a mashup and we're not mm-hmm. sure and so i just thought right i'm gonna write a really commercial thriller and that was pendulum Right. Okay. And uh, I'm going to just write something that's straight down the line that deals with a really sort of pressing contemporary issue. And I was halfway through the novel when I got um, commissioned to adapt David Mitchell's novel, Number Nine Dream. Mm. Yeah. And I just said to my um, literary agent, you know what? Let's just go out with the partially complete manuscript and see what people say. And if there's interest, great, I'll finish it. And if there's not, it's better to know now. Because I was so jaded. You just by break the... all the rules. You don't care what the <laughs> exactly. well, no, it's not that. I just, I just, I just thought, you know, I was so jaded by the other two experiences getting so close. I thought I'd rather know now. Mm-hmm. I could come up with something else or move on to something else or whatever. But we went out um, and we got offers. Like within a few days, it was really bizarre. It's just one of those things where I just, oh, this can't be happening, and it was. Do, do, um, do you think that? there was a certain buzz created by those first two that obviously were, you know, well-written and everything because you had the meetings and stuff. Do you think there was, you, you know, maybe not widely known, but you were a known quantity and so people were like, this could be something uh, good and were more quick to jump on it for that reason? May, uh, possibly. I think certainly, you know, for my agent, it's always, it's encouraging to get an endorsement from publishers to say, okay, right, you know, there's something here. Um, but I think it was just, 
I think it was just perseverance and I, you know, Pendulum was a really timely book given what was going on in the world. Um, and yeah, I think it was just a lot of things, you know, sort of coming together and I completely didn't expect it. I'd kind of, you know, we went out with it just so it wouldn't, it would spare me a bit more, a bit of the pain of having yeah. to finish the book. You know, that's kind of the attitude I went out with. Um, again, don't ever do that. You know, if you're halfway through a book, finish it. <laughs> because it just doesn't happen, particularly now. You know, even at the time, my, my agent said, "You'll never. this will never sell. Partials don't sell anymore. And I just said, oh, come on, let's just do it. <laughs> so so what's your writing style then i mean do you your first book obviously kind of wrote in that 30-day blast is is that how you've continued or are you quite a no, quick writer no. no i mean i am quite a quick writer because of the you know the amount of sort of work and commissions i get and i still write for screen and um but i try and take my time now so the other side of night which is the book that's coming out in a couple mm-hmm. of uh, well, 10 days um that's taken me f- five years to put together Wow. Um, you know, so I have changed my uh, approach to writing. And for me, you know, that was really just get over the fear, get over the fear that you yeah. can't do this. And now I actually really enjoy the process of writing. I kind of relish trying to come up with the best story, the best characters. And so I do spend a lot of time um on on the work now and as much preparation time as possible because the one thing i've learned is the more you can do up front the less you have to do at the end so if you're you know up front and you're working with 5 10 15 20 page outlines yeah. it's a lot easier to rip them up to move them around to you know mm. kind of all of that prep work then than when you've got 100 to 120,000 page uh, word manuscript M- making changes at that stage kind of is a weight on your heart quite often as, yeah. a, as a writer. Yeah. So, so does that process then mean that you end up having a fairly clean first draft? You've, you know, you've you've done the big outline beforehand, so the first draft has got less work than some other writers, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my my edits have got lighter as time has gone on, um, and in particular, the first three books had quite heavy edits, and I didn't plan those. I kind of found my way. I was a pantser. And then the fourth book, Black 13, I planned that because I'd started at that point working with James Patterson. And his methodology is always about, you know, kind of plan the book, know where you're going. You can deviate, you can move off course, but at least know the destination, kind of key waypoints. And um, and so I used that for Black 13. And, and since then, the edits that I've got have tended to be tweaks, you know, ratcheting up emotion. There's not been really heavy, heavily, you know, heavy rewrites, yeah. um, you know, where you have to rewrite the last third or the middle mm-hmm. third or whatever. It's, it's tended to be much lighter. Um, and, and so for me, it's certainly, it's, it's a plotting things out works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patterson's quite a, a big name to to work with. We chatted to a few authors who have worked with him before. And what's that like? You know, is it? I mean, how much involvement did he have with the stuff? Is, is he more of a kind of overview guy, oversight guy, and you do the main writing? Or, or yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm. They're quite careful with what one's allowed to say publicly sure. about the process. Sure, quite care, you know, carefully. But 
Um, yeah, I think it's reasonably well known that for, you know, his collaborators, there's a range of involvement. Some people he just lets have, you know, free reign and they kind of um, can, you know, take command of whatever property it is that they're writing. Yeah. And others, he has quite a, yeah, you know, sort of strict um, oversight. For me, it's been one of the best writing experiences. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really love it. It's really good. I've learned a lot um, from working with him, from writing the books. It's just been a very good experience for me. Um, and I'm working on our fourth together. Right. Uh, yeah, Private Rome. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a, you know, wonderful wonderful experience does that because obviously novel writing is normally in the the sort of solitary process and but but coming from the world of screenwriting which is inherently certainly when the film's been made or the tv show or whatever it's a more collaborative process and you have to give and take and stuff more perhaps does that do you think that is an influence on why you like that process writing with another writer as well um yeah, I mean, I, I I think writing is always quite a solitary process, like, you know, however you're doing it, whether it's screen or not. When it comes to the, um, so for certain TV shows, you'll be in a writer's room and you'll work with a team of writers. Mm-hmm. But f- particularly for feature film, you're typically on your own again. You might have a writing partnership but you're typically on your own until such time as you start to get notes from the producers and director. Yeah. Um, and that's where you get the collaboration and the, the same sort of editorial input that you would get from an editor in a publishing house. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's similar. Um, I've um, not been in writing rooms for TV so far with the TV projects that I've um, written pilots for. I've been the um, lead writer. I've just delivered a, um, draft of a pilot that I'm working on for some US and UK um, producers. Nice. Um, so I've, you know, I'm, you know, I've typically tended to be a, a, a loner uh, for the screen work that I've done. So, uh, and I, 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 I enjoy the collaborative approach of, of sort of, um, of screenwriting, but I just, I think fundamentally, even when you're in a team, you know, writing is a, is a solitary process. You're inside your, your head and you might bounce ideas off other people and take inputs and everything, but you're fundamentally inside your head trying to create, trying to, you know, striving towards the best outcome you can get. Yeah. yeah. And, and you've written a number of books now <clears throat> across a number of different series. And is that something you quite enjoy doing kind of jumping around different universes? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, the pendulum trilogy was a self-contained unit. Um, the Scott Pierce books, uh, are ongoing and a kind of exploration of the world in which we're living and, and mm-hmm. you know, sort of anticipated in a way some of the things that we're seeing unfold yeah. um, now. And uh, the um, Patterson books are what I would call sort of a, a adventure action thrillers set against the back, you know, the backdrop of the world's most successful detective agency. They're just a lot of fun to write. And I try and bring a contemporary, you know, we, we try and sort of imp- have a contemporary element into those. 
Um, and the other side of the night is a complete departure for me, um, sort of speculative fiction with a real emotional hook that so far has been, you know, grabbing grabbing readers and uh, having quite an impact on them. So, yeah, I, I, like most people, I have, you know, you guys, you'll have lots of different elements of your characters and things that yeah. interest you and you're not kind of one note people and i think one of the things that publishing is very good at is pigeonholing people yes, yes totally. you, have a, yeah. you know if you have a success they say well write us 10 more books like that yeah and it shows you the same you had the problems at the very start when you get your first books done because they couldn't put it in a pigeonhole they couldn't say it's a supernatural or it's a horror or whatever it's it's difficult when it, yeah. yeah totally yeah so and and i think for for readers I think, yeah, you like to pick up a book by your favorite author and everything. But also as a reader, you're constantly on the search for, you know, what's new, what's what's exciting, what's going to challenge me, what's going to give me something I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, for me, what I'm going to try and do, in addition to, you know, the other strands that I've got, is with these standalone novels that I'm writing, is just to try and give people something they haven't seen before, um, give them a different experience. So, I mean, you mentioned the other side of the night there. Do, do you want to tell us a bit about what that, that one's about? Uh, it is about um, a disgraced former police officer, Harriet Kilty, who finds a message in a book saying, help, he's trying to kill me. And she tracks down the person who's written the message. And it leads her to a strange man, Ben Elmis, and a young boy, Elliot Asher whose parents, Elliot's parents, um, have both died in mysterious circumstances. And Harriet, who has got nothing else going on in her life, sees it as a potential route back into the police force if she can solve this case. Um, and she also has a personal grudge against Ben um, because she's somebody who's he's somebody who's from her past. And so she begins this investigation into uh, this, these, these two deaths and it takes her to somewhere she doesn't expect. Uh, you know, it's a complete head-spinning um, book. Uh, and it's a real, it's an emotional read. It's, it's kind of, it's a very unconventional novel in that it's ostensibly crime, um, but it goes well beyond that. And it, it features poetry and lots of different perspectives. And you know, technically, it's quite a rich, mm-hmm. uh, rich novel. Brilliant. That's fantastic. I mean, where did the idea for that come from? It sounds like something that she's, as you say, you've been working for what, five years or so you're working on this one. Um, my son asked me a question when he was eight. Uh, and I can't really say what the question is because it would be a spoiler for the book. But we were out walking and he asked me this question and we chatted for a little while. And, and I just thought, oh, my God, this would be an amazing idea for a book. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of started working on it. And it took five years to get it into its final shape it's gone through lots of iterations and things weren't quite working you know just uh, it wasn't delivering what i wanted it to deliver in terms of emotional impact um so it's it's been it's been quite a journey when you've got a project like that 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 is that does take that length of time and and you know as you're going through that process you know something's not working right or or it's not landing in the way that i want it how do you I suppose, how do you know to persist? And the reason I ask that, I'll, I'll say before you answer, is that we have had some authors on who have said, oh, I wrote 
60,000 words of this book, but I just couldn't get it to work. So I literally deleted the file from my computer and moved on. So, I mean, as, you know, how do you know, no, I can, I can make this work uh, as opposed to I have to, I have to leave this one behind. So I'll, I mean, I'll rarely delete anything. I, I did write 50,000 words of this book. I wrote three versions of a screenplay, a short story, a short film script. None of them were delivering what I wanted, but I didn't bin any of them because I knew that the underlying concept was really strong. And, um, and I think actually one of the things I've learned from this is if you think the concept is strong, just give it time. Eventually you'll figure out what it is. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're impressionable beings, you know, we absorb so much information every single day and it changes us. You know, we're changed by life. And so the eyes that you have that look at something six months ago are not the eyes that you have today. Mm -hmm. The brain is different. Everything's different. And so um, for me, I had a real breakthrough when I went, I was teaching at an Arvon course and I went for a walk in the woods um, near the Clun, uh, Arvon Center down in Clun. And, uh, and I just, I bumped into this guy who was walking a dog and we just got chatting and I said, oh, that's a lovely dog. And he said, oh, it was my daughter's. And it turned out she died the previous week. Okay. And he'd inherited this dog. She'd left a husband and two children, his grandchildren. And he was absolutely devastated. And there was just so much, you know, raw emotion coming off of this guy. And we had a one of those weird, profound conversations that you just have because, yeah. not because you know this person, but because of the shared experience. And um, and afterwards, I just thought that's what's missing from this book. That's the key to it. Um, and so, you know, you just never know what encounters, what experiences you're going to have as a person that will change your perception of what you're working on. So I would never throw anything away, but it's okay to kind of park things, put them down. And actually, I never used any of the stuff that I'd written. I didn't go back to that 50,000 words. I started completely from scratch. But I had it all there. It was like kind of pre-planning and mm -hmm. characterization and everything. But a lot of that was all in there. But I didn't go back to it and try and make it work. I just started from scratch with this mm -hmm. new perspective. Yeah. And so much of it as well, I mean, as you said, it's <clears throat> you're in your own head a lot of the time. And, and even when you're not in front of the computer writing, your brain's still doing stuff in the background. And, and times, you know, suddenly you'll, someone will get thrown forward and you think, oh, that's the connection or that's how I solve the problem and there's always you're always working even if you're not sitting down working aren't you so I'm an absolute nerd for this kind of stuff <laughs> so I I love trying to understand the process of creativity how the mind works how to unlock creativity and all this sort of stuff and you actually have this this background process in your mind called the default mode network and you can see it on MRI scans and everything and it's your brain just basically functioning in the background Ooh trying to solve problems. And so often, you know, when you have that eureka moment, you're in the bath, you wake up from a good night's sleep, you're out running, you're out walking, whatever. It's because your brain is processing problems automatically. And this default mode network is just running constantly, chugging through the things that you think you need to solve. And so it'll spit something out every now and again. And that's when you get that, oh, wow, I've solved the problem. But actually... It's this kind of subconscious process that's going on that chucks it out and gives you a present, you know, it gives you a gift. So for people who have got 
creative block or you know writer's block yeah you need the, the randomness of life to inspire you but also give yourself the space to think give your brain the space to think go for a walk go for a run um sit in the bath you know relax do something completely different bake a cake play a musical instrument and it just lets your brain chug through the problem i, th- I think that's so right because i think certainly personally one of my issues is that you know i you know in in today's busy world you've got so many things going on that it can be difficult to focus on something but if you do manage to give yourself that space take a step back as you say it could just be as simple as making a cake or something but just doing something completely different it can unlock something and it's quite amazing that it does work like that but um, yeah it's I, I I was just going to say about the other side of the night, um, it's obviously getting lots of good buzz. It, I think it's out in the UK on the 15th of September. So, I mean, are you are you quite excited for the launch of it then, given how long you worked on it? I am. It seems like it's been ages coming. Um, I am. I think it's going to be, it, without getting into sort of authorly pretensions, it's a book that everyone's going to get something different out of. And I think it's a book that, like, you know, I was saying, when you look at it with eyes of six months ago and eyes of today, you're going to get very different experiences. So you may not get what, you know, what you'd hoped for from the book today. But I think if you read it in a year's time, in two years time, you're, you're going to get what you, uh, what you need from it at some point. People, you know, I've had so many messages, which is, you know, I, I get the odd message now and again in the run-up to publication from people who've read proofs, authors, you know, bloggers and stuff. But I've had so many messages about this book on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, um, in publicly, but also in DMs, um, particularly on Instagram from bloggers who've read it on Instagram and just saying things like, oh, this book's changed me and it's given me a new perspective. Oh, and wow. it's a really kind of profound um, uh, messages from people. And so, you know, that for me is, is is worth more than, you know, I could ever say because it shows that it's connected with people and it's yeah. it's, it's inspired them in a very different way from the other things that I've I've written. So, yeah, I'm very excited to see what people think and, um, you know, what happens to the book because once it's published, as you as you know, you know, Tarek, it, te- it takes on a life of its own. There's nothing. Yeah, you it's can all do your hands, it. isn't it? At that point, at yeah. your hands, it's there. Yeah. Um. I mean, I also wanted to ask you about about Capital Crime because that's a book festival which you started up with David Headley. Um, incidentally, I did a, a search for David Headley this morning and found there's a terrorist with his same name as him, which is the first thing that comes up when you do when you search his name. <laughs> so it's not the terrorist David Headley that you worked with; it's David H. Headley, um, and that was back in 2019 in the long mists of time before COVID. Uh, and it was a massively successful festival, and then obviously it went kind of virtual a little bit over the years since back this year at the end of the month. Um, but what was the thinking behind the festival in in the first place? What made you want to do it? Um, so uh, we went to Thriller Fest in 2018 and just had a great time. And um, you know, we thought it would be a really good idea to have a festival in London that focused on readers that was accessible because a lot of you know the uk festivals are based outside london which 
you know, means that people from the capital need to go and get a hotel, travel there. It's, it can be quite expensive. So, you know, given the concentration of people in London, we just thought it'd be really nice to have an accessible festival um, for uh, for readers. Uh, you know, for me personally, ever, since moving out to Mauritius, I've had less to do with capital crime than um, in the in the first year. But the lineup that they've put together for this year looks absolutely phenomenal. That's incredible, yeah. Yeah, looks phenomenal. So I'm sure it's going to be an amazing, um, amazing event. And it's something that I think London needs because you've got probably the highest concentration of readers anywhere in the country. And, and it just seemed sort of odd to us that they weren't being served. And, you know, it's lovely to go to Harrogate, to go to Crime Fest in Bristol and, you know, all the other festivals and see the country and everything. But for people who can't afford it or, you know, can't get out of London, it's it's a shame that they're not able to participate in yeah. what is probably one of the most friendly literary communities. You know, the crime community is just such a friendly bunch of people and lovely and approachable and accessible. So it just seemed a shame that people weren't able to join in with that. Um, it, so, yeah. It's amazing that there wasn't a festival in London actually yeah. before that. that that's, yeah, obviously yeah. it seems like a very obvious gap in the market there. Yeah, it's been tried in the past and no, no one's quite pulled it off. And I think in order for it to kind of stand out and make noise in London, it has to be big. So we put together, I think in the first year, we got 114 authors and creatives to take part. Oh, wow. Um, and this year, I think there's like 180. It's incredible. It's just just an amazing lineup. I mean, that that first year, what was it like? What, what was the experience of, of that? Was it, I mean, it sounds like it must have been incredibly stressful, but also incredibly rewarding or just incredibly stressful. It was incredibly stressful. It was <laughs> it was rewarding, but what we didn't what we didn't realize, having you know, we kind of we've, David certainly has run run events for Goldsboro, and uh, you know, but what we and he's been involved in other things before, but we, and I, and I'm also um, involved in International Thriller Writers, which is the organization that puts on Thriller Fest, but what. Um, what we didn't realize is just the sheer amount of work and most other festivals have a team behind them who are working, you know, it might be two, three, four, five people who are working, some of them full-time, some of yeah. them part. And they, they work really hard to put on a festival. And we did it with three of us, <laughs> me working, you know, writing and David, um, you know, running an agency and a, and a bookshop and, and then Lizzie Curl, was our you know only full-time person on it so it was an incredible amount of work and hats off to everyone who puts on a festival it's so stressful mm -hmm. um, and trying to make sure that everything comes together at, at the last minute is just it's, it's a, a an experience i will say i do not envy them now because i know where <laughs> i know the stage they're going to be at and it's pretty frantic at this particular point in time. So, I, I, you know, on one hand, I do miss the involvement that I had, but on the other, I'm very relieved and relaxed to be watching it from from afar. But I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And uh, I have to also ask you about the film because you directed a film called Pulp. Yes, um, back in the day, which was put out on Xbox Live. How did that come yeah. about? Um. Myself and some sort of local filmmakers wanted to make a feature film and we um, pulled together um, some finance to just do it and kind of make a an indie 
uh, low budget film. And I'd never planned to um, direct, but for you know various reasons, circumstances, I had to step in and sort of pick up um, part of the film. And uh, um, yeah, and then my manager of the time said, you know, Xbox is looking to make a big splash. They want to do something that's going to, you know, make a name for them on the sort of streaming side of things. This mm-hmm. was a very early effort. And um, and so, yeah, we did a deal with them to put it on, uh, on, on Xbox. It was the first film they ever streamed oh, through yeah. the service. So, you know, I'm glad we did it. It's an odd... Um, film, you know, very funny in parts, but it's not. Um, yeah, I think it's like it has its audience, uh, and and you know, it's I'm very proud of it. So it's a hell of an accomplishment, um, given the resources that we had and everything. An incredible team, um, but uh, yeah, I think it's very, again, very different from anything that I've worked on since, and um, and you know, working on now. Did you ever think to ask Judge if you wanted to be involved? <laughs> or Steve Gutenberg? No, or Steve I, I, knew, I knew how much Judge Reinhold wanted to be paid. So. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that he, he would have eaten up, you know, the entire budget and more. So, so no. Um, so, so what's next? Are you, are you continuing to work in both books and uh, screenwriting? Yeah, so I've just delivered a um, thriller uh, TV pilot um, for a US and U- uh, UK producers. Um, so that's very pleased with how that's um, turned out. It's kind of taking a a look at the world we're in now and how people are being divided and radicalized. And it kind of goes from the street to the high corridors of power. Um, cool in a in an interesting and unconventional way so I'm, I'm sort of um yeah very pleased and excited about that one and then i've just finished um a draft of a new novel which is it's very different to the other side of night but it's in the same territory of kind of being thought-provoking and emotional and um looking at the world that we're in now uh, so i'm excited about that too that's about to go out to publishers to you know, to my publishers to, to kind of see what they think of it. Um, yeah, so that's that's it for now. But I've got, you know, lots of other ideas percolating. And yeah. Do you, do you that... quite like the, um, the kind of ratio that you have of kind of screen and novel, or would you rather kind of shift more into one or the other? Uh, it's varied over the years. You know, three years ago, it was probably 60, 30 screen, uh, sorry, 60, 40 screen to books and now it's the other way around um so i don't mind i love them both I, you know i love them both i've just been talking to a local producer here in mauritius actually about making a making a film here um nice. yeah which could be quite interesting he's a very sort of experienced german producer who set up shop here so it'd be interesting to see if something comes of that but you know i i i, I just love telling stories Books, screen, whatever it is, you know, I, I love it that you get something different from from both um, um, media. So, you know, I, I'll I'll take whatever I can get. I love it. I love it all. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a great. You know, you've got you've got that variety between uh, the mediums, but also 
like you were saying before, not being so pigeonholed like some authors can be, you know, it must keep things fresh in terms of what you're what you're writing, what you're working on next, sort of a thing. Yeah, definitely, and that I think that's that's really important for me is to stay interested in the world, to stay interested mm. in what's going on in people, um, and to just always be learning. That I love learning. Um, I didn't much like school, but I love learning. <laughs> I'm really interested in learning about people. I'm interested in trying new experiences, learning about the world. Um, fascinated by people who achieve greatness in whatever field. You know, I don't, I don't care. It's just I, I uh, you know, I've come alive sort of around interesting people. So, yeah, I'm grateful for the variety that I've got and for the the opportunities that I have, and you know. Uh, long may it continue and, and hopefully as long as readers are enjoying what I'm writing and um, you know keep buying or borrowing books I'm going to be eternally grateful and we'll keep on writing What was the last book that you read? Uh, so the last book that I read was, well, hmm, that's, that's an interesting question. So I read two books very, very close together. Um, so I'll mention them both. The Accomplice by Steve Kavanagh and A Twist of the Knife by Anthony Horowitz. Nice. Both, uh, you know, really good, excellent sort of. Uh, Steve's is a really good um, legal thriller and Anthony's is a, is a great murder mystery. Brilliant. Um, what about the last film that you watched? Ooh, oh, oh, no, I can't say that. Um, Jurassic, <laughs> Jurassic, uh, Jurassic Park. No, Jurassic World um, <laughs> Uprising or Jurassic, I don't know, the last Jurassic, the latest Jurassic <laughs> World film. Dominion, which, is it? Dominion, that's it. Yes, Dominion. I've not heard yeah. good things. No, I've heard bad things about that film. Mm-hmm. That I don't know. Someone needed a new house. <laughs> <laughs> I was I kind of done after the second one of the new ones, but then they had the the new cast. All oh, the old cast came back, and I was like, "Oh, this yeah. is how they get you." Oh, yeah. but, uh, I just it's like the, the ingredients. Yeah, the, the ingredients were there, but it just didn't quite deliver. Um, so yeah, and the kids were like. Eh, it's okay, and the adults in the room were like, eh, "Not so cool." <laughs> so, yeah, I wish I could say something more highbrow and uh, you know that would play to the author character, but no, Jurassic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about the last TV show that you watched or are watching? Oh, now this one I can uh, talk about with more uh, love and passion: um, the Terminal List. Jack Carr's, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. yeah, the adaptation of Jack Carr's novel, nice. uh, The Terminal List with Chris Pratt. Pratt. Um, just, I, I don't know why. I, I, and it's not that I had low expectations of it, but adaptations rarely kind of live up to the hype of a book. But just, it was amazing, really, you know, kind of action packed and constantly delivering the goods. I loved it. Brilliant. Uh, and the very, very last thing we do is a super quick fire, either or. And I always say there's no right answer apart from one. But we'll start off with uh, Jack Reacher or Alex Cross. Uh, I'm going to go with Alex Cross because of my loyalty to Jim. 
And, <laughs> you know, I think as a, as an investigator, he kind of stands out, you know, you have to think about those, those early books. They were just amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, TV or cinema. Oh God. Uh, I'm going to go with TV. I just think there's so much now where you've got kind of eight parters where you go so much more into character. Um, And yeah, I mean, there are great movies made, but cinema now seems to be a lot about the temple. And yeah, I I love great characters, great storytelling. So TV at the moment. Uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Night Owl. (laughs) Uh, Music or no music when you're writing? Oh, music. Definitely music. Yeah, I always have a soundtrack for every project and I always play the same track or the same mix or the same album throughout the period of I'm writing that particular piece of work. And the last one, real book or ebook? Real book. Real book. That was the wrong answer. The correct answer (laughs) is ebook. I read everything now. No, like don't my... try to no, no, no. I'm backtrack. Gonna, I'm not backtracking. I read most things now um, on E because of where we live. So when people are sending proofs, it's always digital. But I just love to be able to pick up a physical book. And, you, you know, that's, the sense perception of it is different because it's, it's, you know, you can smell it, you can feel it, feel the page you're on C, the look of the print. It's all different. So, yeah. It's aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't worry. Like, I think about five I feel guilty now. No, no, don't, no. Don't feel yeah. guilty. Yeah. Very much like, in the majority. You have yeah. been judged and found wanting. <laughs> Delete this episode, Marco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one for the bin. <laughs> We've got five episodes so far have gone out, yeah. Well, that was a really, really fun chat with Adam. I, I had a great time recording it. I think, as you can tell, it was really fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I mean, what a career. You know, the whole Judge Reinhold story is just it's just bonkers. And it just shows you, I suppose, if you if you want something, you just go for it, and you just sometimes you jump the queue and you just approach the person that you need to approach, and you don't worry about what people say. It's a total balance because, you know, at what point do you go down the route of, the usual path that you advise to go down and at what point do you break the rules? It's tricky to know, but sometimes I think you just have to say, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go. So thank you very much to Adam. And um, I really hope Capital Crime uh, is a success this year. Um, Now we will of course put a link to the book uh, in the description. So if anyone is interested in buying a copy of The Other Side of Night, they can do so. Um, I will uh, repeat Marco's uh, usual plea at this point for ratings and or reviews uh, which uh, you can do in your favorite podcast service of choice but ideally apple because they are the granddaddies of the industry and if you want to get in touch of course you can always do so by sending us a tweet in the twitter machine to at uk page one or an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk now Next week, we are embarking on a little bit of a different um, approach. We are moving away from our usual author interviews and we're having a, a few special episodes. We're calling them industry episodes and we are chatting with a number of um, 
industry experts and the idea is that we're going to chart the course of your book from finding an agent to getting an editor and a publisher and then taking it through what happens when your book is picked up by a publisher. Does it go to Hollywood? What happens at that point? So we've got a real a real mix of people uh, that kind of chart you the progress of a book from being picked up by an agent all the way through to hopefully being made into a feature film. So it's a really, really interesting chat. We've had, there's a lot of people. I think if you're interested in how things work behind the scenes, you've got to get a lot out of it. And they're going to be both, uh, we've filmed them all, so they're, they're, they're available on YouTube uh, one a week, as, as per always. But where, if you want to watch them in the video form, you can go to YouTube and do so. If you want to listen to them in podcast form, they will still be released as an audio uh, episode. So you've got a real mix there. But I would heartily recommend, if you're at all interested in the behind the scenes of how a book makes its way, uh, once it's once it, you've signed with an agent, what happens next? This is the series of, of episodes for you. So um, I will uh, leave you with that and hope you all have a lovely week and see you later.